welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, everyone. My name is John LeBaron. I am the Chief Revenue Officer here at Pattern, and we are thrilled to have another awesome guest on the show today. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll cover this at the end of it, but uh, if any of you guys have feedback on how the show is going, or if you have certain questions you want me to ask our guests, or if you have other guests that you would like me to bring onto the show, feel free to drop it into the notes or even email me, john at pattern.com. So without further ado, we will get started to our guest today. His name is Colton Bergen. He is the VP of sales at a company called eHub. And once again, they are a local Utah company. So we're very excited to get to learn more of the awesome e-commerce related companies in the uh, local Utah area here today. But welcome to the show, Colton. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So we met you guys through, I believe, the Accelerate Conference that we hosted last month in Salt Lake City, or I guess two months ago now, it's the beginning of August. Um, tell us a little bit more about what eHub does for those that are not familiar. It's a really cool company. Yeah, so eHub is a technology-based company. We really specialize in we're a single API that gives B2C e-commerce companies access to multiple integrations. And really our end goal is to optimize shipping processes and decrease shipping rates. Okay, so if you are a brand, uh, I guess in the plainest English, you, got, you, you basically connect to your API, you pay some sort of a, a monthly fee or maybe a variable cost, and then you get cheaper rates. Is that for sure? Yeah. Yep, correct. So we actually don't even have monthly fees. You know, We work based off our negotiated rates with the carriers and we monetize on the back end. So there's no, no fees associated. If we're not saving our customers money, um, they shouldn't be using us, right? So, but yeah, they connect to our API or we connect their software to our API we allow them to access discounted rates and potentially um, increase overall efficiencies in the warehouse. That's awesome. How would someone increase efficiency in the warehouse? What, what's the kind of value prop there? Yeah. So, you know, we have 20 plus software solution partners and what we really like to look at is how many packages can each employee get out the door on a daily basis? How do we eliminate clicks? So if orders are coming in, can we set up business rules and automation where they can just hit click to print that label versus comparing four different carriers, adding, you know, adding specific rules to that. We want to automate the process as much as possible and enable e-commerce companies to ship out as many packages per day as possible. So the warehouse isn't the holdup, you know, obviously supply chain to hold up other things, but we never want companies to be backlogged 10,000 orders because they can't get enough packages out the door. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I think if you go to the website, ehub.com, I was cruising around and just kind of checking it out and uh, Rocky Mountain ATV, I just bought a motorcycle tire the other day and had them ship it to me. And it said uh, the quote from them on the website, we started using them when we were shipping 5,000 packages a day. It was awesome because we were able to grow with us. So we could send 20,000 packages a day without losing speed or efficiency. So I was kind of trying to understand like, yeah, well, how do you gain that? But the way you described it makes a ton of sense, reducing the number of clicks, figuring out a way to get more throughput. Uh, through the existing kind of infrastructure of, of folks on the shipping floor or whatever. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And some of those larger customers like Rocky Mountain ATV will actually help optimize their warehouse. We'll help them understand, you know, putting low volume products in areas where you won't be walking past those to pick high volume products, understanding, you know, 
uh, warehouse mapping, orders coming in, what's the least number of steps you can take to pick those packages, get those to the pick station, print a label. So there's a lot that goes into it and it totally depends on the size of the customer. Our, you know, our smallest customer today probably does a package a day. Our largest customer today does 100,000 plus packages per day. So we have the ability to help these companies early on, help them scale up a process in the place where there's not gonna be a bottleneck later down the road as they're growing, uh, growing their business. Yeah, that's amazing. And maybe not to get too much into your, uh, you know, business IP. So feel free to demur on this question if you want. But do you basically automate um, negotiated rates with the carriers? Like, do, do they basically, is it's like, you know, it just flexes up and down? Or do you literally, uh, I'm thinking of like Hamilton's in the room where it happens, like a cloudy room, you go in and try to negotiate rates on the back end for multiple years at a time. Is it, is it pretty straightforward or how do you, how do you get basically cheaper rates? Obviously it's gotta be related to the size and scale and just more throughput that makes it more uh, economies of scale for them. But uh, do you have to do those one by one or is it, is it pretty standard? Yeah, it's pretty standard. And why that is, is because we run all of the rates through a master account through us and we'll get our customer sub accounts, right? Um, and for some carriers, we're certified partners. We've developed programs for them get, that gives us a technology discount. For other partners, it's strictly based off volume. You know, we will go to FedEx and say, here's how much UPS volume we have. We need these rates to get better, um, to bring more volume to UPS or to bring more volume to FedEx and vice versa. So we're always leveraging our, our volume. We're building out technology that will help these companies um, have greater distribution across e-commerce companies. And in doing so, we will get deeper discounts. We'll get incentive programs and things like that. And then obviously we pass part of those discounts um, and rates to our end users. Yeah, it, this is just absolutely fascinating to me just because, I mean, I know it's like sometimes oh, it feels like just boring. It's like boxes and other stuff, but truly it's one of the most labor intensive slash and therefore expensive areas of e-commerce. And I'm always very, very interested in ways to find additional savings, additional efficiency uh, to drive it back to the bottom of the line. I'm sure, I don't know how you guys work, but we're a very kind of low margin business. And when we work with brands, it's always, how can I shave a point here? How can I, you know, basically buy your product for more and then you kind of resell it. And um, man, it's just uh, as much automation and, and gains that we've made in efficiency over the years and AI and all this stuff, like it still feels like it, it's a wild west. It still feels like that's a frontier that we haven't totally conquered. And I love that y'all are basically going deeper into the relationship to try to, I mean, on their floor even, and trying to figure out how to make it more efficient, uh, et cetera. So I think that's great. Have you guys expanded at all into like other commercial realms of, of or other, other realms like freight forwarding or containers or direct import or any of that sort of stuff? Or are you mostly at that level of, of truly like exchanging uh, across commercial interfaces? Yeah, so we're, we're more at that level of exchanging across commercial interfaces. We, we have partners that can facilitate on the freight, on inbound from China, on these other things. But what we found is we try to get into, get into it. We are experts in small, small parcel. We know everything. There's not, not someone out there that's going to know more than us. And we want to drive as much value in that area. So if, if a customer needs help with you know, inbound stuff from China, we'll get with one of our partners that's the expert in that, and we'll just connect them. Um, we don't want to try to double dip. So we'll just pass them to the best solution for them and try to add value in that way. But we really just focus on the small parcel, whether it's domestic or international shipments. No, that's really, that's really interesting. So maybe back to the example we used earlier with Rocky Mountain ATV, I don't know the largest thing that they actually sell. Maybe they sell 
ATVs and motorcycles. I actually I don't know. I only buy parts. But um, so in those cases, do they just have to go through another provider? Like, do you guys ever do pallet shipping or YRC or any of that sort of like oversized stuff? Or truly, is it just like whatever FedEx would ship, will ship sort of thing? Yeah. So great question. And I'll give you an idea. So we ask our customers to use us when we make the most sense. So Rocky Mountain ATV has a software solution that connects to eHub on the back end, and it also connects to probably 20 other carriers today. Yeah. So they use eHub for all of the small parcel where it makes sense. They're still shipping all of their labels and their larger packages through the same solution, but sometimes those rates are going through YRCE or through, they have their own direct FedEx account. Um, so yeah, they're still using the same solution. It's not making them less efficient, but they're utilizing us where the rates are best and the transit time makes the most sense. So I believe of Rocky Mountain ATV, we probably pick up, I don't know, 10,000 shipments a day and they're probably up to 70,000 on like Black Friday type days. They could be up to 70,000 plus shipments per day right now. So we don't pick up all of their volume, but we pick up volume in in the small parcel space, generally one to 20 pounds where we can add the most value and savings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so great. I love these business models that emerge that truly is like, it's just a no brainer. If you can save money, use it. You're not going to pay any more anyway. So if you can save money, use us. If you can't, don't use us. You know, I just, I think it's so fascinating. It's great. And you hit it on the head. Ehub's a little bit different. A lot of our competitors, they will, you know, they will push contracts. They want you to lock into a three-year contract. Ehub does not have contracts whatsoever. Um, we believe that dollars follow value. If we're creating value, we're getting you the best rate possible. We're going to pick up business and we're going to keep that business for a long period of time. Um, you know, we've had customers. I mean, most of our customers that started year one, you know, started live shipping six years ago. We still have today. We seldomly lose customers because we're focused on driving value and driving value where it makes sense. And if it doesn't, we want to facilitate other solutions to help these companies grow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, what, what are like the minimums that some, I mean, you know, you said there's like people that do one package a day or whatever, but what are the minimums for someone to kind of get started and do, do like, I don't know, families or I know small businesses, do you have to actually be a business to do it or do you, can anyone kind of do it? Yeah. Great question. There are no minimums. So we, like I said before, we have customers doing one shipment a day, probably less than one shipment a day. So we have software partners and solutions that can facilitate if, if a family wants to hop on and ship a package to their missionary. We have, we have a free solution, a free software solution where they can log on and do that at a discounted rate. Um, you know, and then, like I said, our largest customer is probably doing 100,000 plus shipments a day. So there are no minimums. Um, you know, we're able to get all of our customers discounted rates. Um, we have access to about 20 plus carriers with discounted rates. Obviously, the majority of our customers, the ones they're using are USPS is our biggest carrier, uh, FedEx, UPS, and DHL. But we have regional carriers. We have last mile. We have middle mile carriers that we're able to facilitate based off the size and the needs of each company. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Well, it's it never ceases to amaze me to how much savings there really is or how much markup, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But uh, man, I went to uh, ship a trampoline mat back the other day and I got it was like a 50 bucks, right? I was shipping to California from here. And I called up my sister-in-law who runs a small business and just said, Hey, like how much would you, know, if you print me the label or if you send it to me, how much would it be? And she's like uh, 24 bucks, you know? Um, so it is like, literally you could save 50% or more on some of these, depending on uh, how much scale you have. So it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating, right? Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, even going from USPS to USPS, 
USPS, for example, you walk into a post office, you're paying a retail rate. Yeah. Just to get on a normal commercial rate, you're saving an average of 30%. And then you start getting on a negotiated rate and you're saving another up to 10%. But what's really interesting is when you look at moving volume from one carrier to another. So you look at, let's say FedEx ground, you know, gas fuel or fuel surcharges are the highest they've ever been up to 18%. And then you start adding in residential surcharges out of area surcharges. You take one of those shipments, uh, you know, maybe averaging $20 after all surcharges and move it to USPS priority mail for a faster transit time. You can literally save 60, 70, 80%. Um, and that's what we try to do. We try to optimize. So there are areas FedEx and UPS are going to be better. There's areas where USPS is going to be the best solution. But we look at the time in transit and we look at the cost and say, how do we get the best of both worlds? Let's rate shop across multiple carriers and make sure you're always picking the best carrier possible. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I didn't mean to turn this into a commercial for you guys, but it's just, it really is fascinating. And like I said, the business model is dead simple. And I think it's there's there's so much complexity, there's so much cost involved that it behooves anyone to try to figure out, uh, especially using automation. And I love the idea of like one API, reduce the number of clicks, because there's nothing worse than uh, whether it's shopping for an airline ticket or, you know, what a rental car or whatever, where you're trying to compare everything. It's just like exhausting. And it's like, no, just do it for me. Show me the cheapest. And if I have some complaint or I need to you know, like level it up. Maybe I can double click on something, but just make it easy. So I love that you guys are doing that for your customers. Yeah, no, and you hit it on the head, right? We found that that's the biggest thing is if we can, if we can automate it and obviously they can always override it if they want to click in and select a different carrier because they want FedEx overnight to, for whatever reason, customer requested that they're able to, and they're never, they're never forced to use us. We have customers today that utilize our API that we actually make no money on because for what they're doing, we're not the best solution. We believe if we drive value at some point, we're going to pick up some volume and we'll be able to monetize on that. But it's more important for us to help businesses grow, um, you know, to get more users, help people understand the value of, of efficiencies and automation in order to scale their business long term. Yeah. Well, I think about, you know, this is e-commerce innovators and there's so much innovation happening in the supply chain and the logistics space and the fulfillment space. Um, it never ceases to amaze me. I feel like every year when the Fortune, you know, 5,000 or the Inc. 5,000 list comes out and it shows all the top, you know, the fastest growing companies in the U.S., it never ceases to amaze me how many of those are related to supply chain or fulfillment and logistics and just getting stuff around because uh, truly there is so much inefficiency there and uh, whatever we can do to make that easier, I'm, I'm all for it. So that's fantastic. Well, um, DPS sales, you've actually had a pretty cool trajectory at the company. Tell us where you started, how you got to kind of the point that you've been, uh, cause it's a pretty young company, but you've been there for, sounds like the long haul, right? Yep. Yeah. So that after, uh, I played basketball for a little bit overseas, I came back and I, I hopped on KSL, started looking for jobs. So I started off at working for Milwaukee tool as a sales rep. Um, it was good. It was a very good entry level job. Uh, my next promotion was headed head to Milwaukee. And I know I didn't want to live in Milwaukee long-term. So I hop back on KSL. What do I do? I find, you know, I find a job online. It's like logistics sales. And I was like, Oh, it's not where I want to be, but it looks like a good stepping stone. Let's give that a try. And that's where I, uh, I started reselling USPS shipping rates and it kind of blew my mind. The opportunity that was there, the amount of efficiencies you create, it's the easiest sell in the world. I'm selling savings and efficiencies, right? Yeah. Um, I'm almost never costing a company money um, even if there's a cost, we're offsetting that based off the savings. So 
Um, once stamps.com kind of purchased some of our partners, uh, eHub was created. And, you know, I've been everything from a BDR to an AE to a sales manager, um, really just learning the industry, understanding the industry, understanding where we can add value to now I'm the VP of sales. Um, and I oversee our entire sales organization and our channel sales team. So it's been, it's been quite the ride. I never thought I would be in shipping and logistics long-term, but I never see myself leaving at this point. You know, it sounds boring. Like I'm sure people are like, this guy's got the worst job ever. But once you get into the, the nitty gritty of it and understanding the carriers and the softwares and optimizing a warehouse, there's so much opportunity to add value. And I think that's where it's really interesting and why I've been here for such, you know, for the long haul, because there's a lot of opportunity in helping these companies grow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What have you learned, um, I guess, professionally and where do you feel like you found some innovation in the, everything from the way you sell or the way you do stuff to the way you've started to build a team around you? Um, what are you kind of most proud of or where are some areas that you feel like you really innovated? Yeah, I feel like, you know, there, there's a few things. I feel like what I've found is, you know, sales guys are motivated by, obviously money is one thing, but they're motivated by things. So I feel like, and I, and I got this from our CEO, but he is, he's one of the best people at motivating people with um, incentives. So he finds what drives people outside of money. And what we generally say for incentives is something that your spouse wouldn't usually let you buy. Yeah. So whether that's, you know, a hunting trip, whether that's a machine of some sort, a dirt bike, whether that's a golf trip, something you usually wouldn't do or your spouse wouldn't allow you to, we, I feel like our company is really good at motivating um, productivity with incentives. Um, I feel like we are also very good at hiring the right person. So we, we have been very lucky with the, you know, our sales team, our operations team, people that generally genuinely care about the business. They want to grow, they want to learn, and they want to drive value for customers. And I think if you get the right people on the bus, um, companies will always succeed. No, I think that's really, really fascinating. And I agree hundred percent with you, whether it's the spouse or it's not, it's just what is the thing that you really kind of like would love to go do, but you would never pay for it, right? Just because it seems impractical or it seems like lavish or whatever. Um, I think that's really, really cool. I would say we probably do a better job with our partners than we do with our employees. Um, but still, by default, you kind of, there's a little bit of a spillover. And it's so, man, it just, you feel like, I don't know, you feel like Santa Claus in a way, right? When you can do something for someone that they've always kind of dreamed of doing, but they never have done it, whether it's, oh my gosh, racing a Ferrari or heli skiing or going to Baja on a dirt bike or uh, indoor skydiving or like whatever it looks like. And again, like, they're not that expensive um, to actually go do, but there's kind of this weird perception where you don't allow yourself to do it. Or again, the spouse or the family, or you feel like, oh my gosh, I can never try to go do that. It's like it'd be time away from my family or you know, it's golf or like you said, hunting or whatever. So um, I think that's really, really great. That's a good idea. And uh, I'm probably going to steal that idea. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, a lot of it is the perceived value is far higher than the actual value. Totally. You know, we've got a, we've got a sales incentive for some of our uh, enterprise level AEs right now, um, or any of them that meet a certain goal by end of year. Next spring, we're taking them out to Florida to get custom fit for golf clubs. They have a lot of golfers and we'll do a golf trip. So it's going to be a three-day golf trip. They get cust they get new clubs out of it, right? It's a pretty big incentive. Yeah. Um, but you've got guys working 12 hour days to try to hit this incentive, just busting their butts. And it's like, 
and they're all competing against each other at the same time. So it's, it's a really fun atmosphere. You know, they're working together, they're competing, they're trying to help each other because they want, you know, they want their buddy sitting next to them to be on that trip as well. So they can go golf together. So there's just things like that. And we just try to find out what drives people. So if we can figure out what drives someone and we do incentives for our operations and we actually have an operations uh, guy heading to Alaska tomorrow on an incentive he won a year ago for an Alaska caribou hunt. He said, I would never go to Alaska to do this, but it's been a dream of mine. So <laughs> set up an incentive for him, set a drink. So he actually won that over a year ago. And then with COVID and whatnot, it finally got pushed and he leaves tomorrow. And he, you know, he's a, he's ecstatic about front. Uh, he's ecstatic about it, but the value of that, it's a drop off hunt, you know, pretty, pretty easy, but in his mind, that's a once in a lifetime life-changing experience. So it's really cool to see those things. Well, and he will, he will remember that experience for a really long time. Um, and so I think it breeds loyalty as well and desire to stick around people that value you, value your hobbies and, and your passions and interests, and then kind of give you permission to go chase those down. I think it's, it's really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we've, we've covered a lot on the innovation. I think that your company has done, maybe we just double clicking on that a little bit and, and coming up for air in some ways, like, I'd love to hear a little bit. So you, you've been there since the beginning, who are the founders? How did you get in touch with these folks? And are they still actively involved in the business? Like what was their motivation? How did they see this opportunity and kind of seize on it? Um, would love to just learn a little bit more before we double click, maybe even in some of the differentiators between you and some of the competitors. Yeah. So the founders came from, um, a background of USPS resellers, right? So they were, they've been in the industry for longer than I have, I believe 13 to 14 years. Um, and really our C our CEO, he is a, he's an entrepreneur at heart, right? He, he has a vision. He puts people in, he puts people in the right people in the right place to make a company grow. So he had a vision. He saw, you know, there's, there's a disconnect in e-commerce. It's a very segmented industry when it comes to shipping and there's a lot of opportunity there. So he started off in the reseller space, um, did really well there. Um, but as stamps.com, as things change in the industry, he said, we need to be in the technology space. This is where it's going to make sense long-term. Here's what we're seeing that our customers need. Here's where we can drive the most, the most value, but it's going to take some time. So we took two years um, you know, there was two years where eHub had zero business. You know, we were, we, we shifted from a straight sales organization to hiring a ton of developers, um, devoting a lot of resources to this new business idea, hoping we were right. And we were, I mean, we took off pretty quick and we've been able to keep customers and grow year over year. Um, and you know, luckily we're in a good space. A lot of, a lot of companies suffered during COVID and, you know, it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen, but our company saw the most growth it's ever seen. So, you know, the, the founders have, you know, we have founders from, you know, different backgrounds, but they've all been in the e-commerce shipping and logistics space for 13 plus years, and they're still actively involved. You know, they're actively looking for new partnerships, new carriers, new technologies, and really what's, what's next? Where can we add more value long-term? What can we do to make sure we are always at the cutting edge of technology and doing things, um, to allow our customers to scale and grow. Yeah, I love that. And how do you feel like their take? I mean, obviously the arc of the company going from just implementing a similar model that they were already familiar with to pushing in, hiring developers, like had the founders ever had experience in tech really or hiring developers or like, so was it a pretty rocky road? Do you feel like they kind of learned it quickly? Did you hire the right 
maybe CTO in the beginning that kind of knew it? Did you feel like you built on the right stack and didn't have to go back and, you know, deprecate a bunch of, you know, investments you'd already made? Tell us more about what that tech journeys looked like, because that can be fraught with a ton of wasted effort and, and time and space and outsourcing and all this other stuff, right? That's a for sure. It, there has been some rocky points for sure. You know, early on, we brought on a really good CTO. He's still our CTO today. Um, and he wasn't, I mean, very experienced. Uh, we, he wasn't in the industry, but he learned it really fast. Um, so he actually developed, you know, he developed our API and then our very first customer, he developed a bunch of things that they wanted, which was awesome because it facilitated for a bunch of other customers we brought on in the future. So I think that was huge is we had a large customer lined up that wanted to utilize us, wanted to access our rates. Um, and once we built a bunch of features and things for them, it kind of fueled the rest of the fire for new business. And then obviously we've continued to build out our API. We have, you know, I don't even know how many developers we have offshore developers. We have a, a full office of onshore developers. Um, but constantly just building and it has been rocky, right? I always tell our CTO when I used to get on calls with him when I was an AE or when I get on calls with our senior developer, I said, guys, I might hear you selling hopes and dreams and you guys got to deliver these hopes and dreams, but you get on, I'm sure, you know, you get on a call with the developer and like, nope, can't do that. We don't do that. And I was like, hold up. We can build anything. I know what we can do. Right. Like, yeah. so, but it's funny, you know, I'm a sales guy. They're, they're developers. They're, they're realists. They're saying, nope, we don't have that. We're eight months out. I was like, hold up. Are we really eight months out? Or can we do this for this customer? This can be very high revenue customer. So <laughs> there's been rocky times, you know, and a lot of it is just prioritizing a roadmap, you know, understanding where the priority is or where we want to go and what, what our future looks like. But we have an awesome development team. Our CTO is absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, so for sure, there's been some rocky times. There's been times where it's like, oh man, if we just had these three things, I could put on a, you know, another hundred thousand shipments a day or a hundred thousand shipments a month, but we don't have those things. So then it's working with our dev team, prioritizing, figuring out what we bump off the, off the roadmap, whether it be integrations or feature requests. So there's for sure, you know, and if we had unlimited money, we could hire every developer in the world. It'd be, it'd be a perfect scenario, but everyone's got limitations on on our resources. And right now developers and good developers are really hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess as you think about some of the pivots that y'all have made to be more innovative, to stay at the cutting edge, to stay at the forefront, I, I think a lot about, you know, this diffusion of innovation curve of the early adopters and laggards and, and stuff like that. And I'm sure that, you know, you know, you never could judge a book by its cover, but there are certain companies you come across that you feel like they're kind of start to blow your mind in terms of, wow, they feel like they're at the cutting edge. And there are others that you feel like, oh my gosh, they're like still the early day transition of maybe converting from a mom and pop type of operation. Yeah. They don't even know e-commerce, you know what I mean? And it's like, I guess you probably span the gamut or you, you've seen the, the whole, all the different types of companies that are coming on to use your software. I would say, First and foremost, if they're using you, you guys, they're probably at least a little bit more advanced than the people, quote unquote, paying the retail rates or the rack rates or just, you know, kind of getting, quote unquote, ripped off. But what have you noticed? I mean, do you have any take, I guess, of like what brands need to do or that you're seeing they already are doing um, to, you know, be super competitive in the future? Like, what do you basically think brands need to deliver now and, and moving forward to be a leader? Uh, what, what, what things do you notice, I guess, about those that feel like they're on the cutting edge, um, either in the shipping logistics space or just as a general 
uh, vibe about their company, their culture. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on both of those. You know, one thing I found was during COVID. Um, well, let's we'll start with Amazon. Amazon kind of broke the system, right? Everyone wanted two-day shipping and they wanted it for free, right? So all of these companies are going out and they're trying to be cutting edge. Say, yeah, we want two-day shipping. We're going to offer it for free to our customers. At the end of the day, it's not free. People are paying $100 a year for Prime. They have who knows how many subscribers. So that crippled a lot of small businesses. You know, they're selling a $40, they're selling a $40 product. It's eight, $9 for shipping. They're offering it for free. That eats, eats in their margin. There's nothing left. So we worked a lot with companies on helping them understand how to increase their average order value, decrease their abandoned cart rate, and still be able to compete with Amazon. And if you're offer, offering free shipping, why? You know, do you have enough margin built in? So I think a lot of it is on the cutting edge side is people understanding their checkout process, understanding what things are important. And some of these products, you can't go to Amazon and get, you know, some of these mom and pop shop, it's a very good. So someone can't go to Amazon and get free shipping. So do you really need to offer free shipping? Um, luckily during COVID, I mean, delivery guarantees change. FedEx and UPS stopped guaranteeing deliveries. Um, you know, Amazon Prime went from one day in some scenarios to four or five days. So it's really kind of flip-flop the market. Um, but the other thing we see on the cutting edge side is, you know, there's there's now opportunities to zone skip. So for some of these larger shippers or even smaller shippers, we have middle mile solutions where you could be shipping from Utah to New York, but because we can, we have a middle mile carrier, we can actually drop it off in New York for you and you pay a zone one rate plus 20 cents for tra transportation, which saves you, you know, five, six, seven dollars per shipment. So yeah. now you can offer that flat five dollar shipping rate, break even on that. And, you know, your customer's happy, you're not losing money versus paying $14 from Utah to New York, you're all of a sudden losing $10 a shipment. So, you know, there's some, there's some carriers out there and there's some solutions to me that are, you know, they're the innovators. They're, they're creating the, the different carrier solutions, the different things to help these e-commerce companies scale and grow and be able to get packages from them to their consumer at the lowest rate possible and as quickly as possible. And we, what we're trying to do on our end is just stay ahead of that curve and making sure we have those carriers available. We have the technology to be able to, to sort, facilitate. We have contracts with the airlines to get middle mile lifts um, to get those packages to the final destination. So I know that all probably sounds crazy confusing for someone that's not in the industry, but what we're doing is making sure that technology is in place and we're partnering with the right people to make sure we can facilitate any new cutting edge technology or carrier in the industry. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And I guess anything about the culture, I mean, you've talked about the incentive and, you know, kind of like helping people get motivated and things like that. Anything that you feel like your company's done particularly well to kind of maintain an innovative culture, or like I said before, that, that you kind of like, I don't know, maybe envy a little bit in other companies when you look at some of their cultures and, and how they are able to uh, kind of inculcate the, the culture with, with more innovation. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that our company does well and has done well is we kind of have an open door policy. You know, developers come to me all the time and ask questions saying, why am I doing this? And I don't think it's super common for, you know, a senior developer and a, bunch, and a bunch of sales guys to get in a room and like discuss why or what we're doing. What are the advantages? Can we do it better? Can we do it more differently? Um, but, you know, we have, we have, we have BDRs and AEs that will walk into the CEO's office and say, Hey, I have a question. Why aren't we doing this? Is this more efficient? And in a lot of companies, people may be like, Oh, I can't go talk to the CEO. 
or I can't go talk to the VP of sales. I'm just, you know, I'm just a BDR, but we encourage that, you know, yeah. you, you get good ideas from every, every level, you know, you have BDRs that see things completely differently the way than the enterprise level sales guy sees things and different perspectives are good and it can help build out efficiencies and can help, you know, really push just different agendas based off what needs to happen. So I think we're really good at, you know, anyone at our company can walk into anyone's office at any time if they have an idea or they have feedback. Um, and we also just have that work hard, play hard. You know, we have a golf simulator in the office. We have, we do a lot of fun things with the expectation that you're going to work hard. You work, you, uh, you work to live, not live to work. So let's enjoy our time together. Let's have a good time. But when we're dialed in, let's get dialed in and let's grind and let's, you know, let's try to grow the business. So, um, yeah, but I really think just having that culture of, you know, I could walk into your office and say, Hey, here's what I'm saying. I think we can cut costs by doing this. It's like, wow, that's a good, why have we never thought of that? You know, but maybe it's something or it's a system we're using. It's like, Hey, we're paying $20,000 a year for this system. You know, no one uses this. It's not beneficial. We're doing it this way. Instead, we could probably cancel that subscription. So just, just small things like that. I think we've done really well. And I think it's because we started small, you know, we bootstrapped this company. Um, there's no outside money. So it's always been very close knit and we've grown, we've been growing pretty quickly over the last few years, but we grow, we grew pretty slow where everyone was so tight and there's always ideas getting kicked off and we've kind of kept that culture. Um, as we continue to grow now, you know, we've doubled in size over the last year and we'll probably do that again next year. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been such a cool conversation. I've learned a lot. I've got some good takeaways from this conversation. So I really appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, one of the questions I always love to ask guests of the show is, you know, again, maybe even just backing off the concept of innovation a little bit. Um, really, it's just around leadership, right? You've been an athlete, you played overseas, you kind of went on a path in, in college, et cetera. And then ultimately decided to kind of pivot back to the work and uh, et cetera. So, but I'm sure there were so many learnings and lessons and a lot of quote unquote blood, sweat and tears left on the court to get to where you were at. And, and certainly to your point, just barely like a lot of blood, sweat and tears to, you know, lift this company up on your shoulders in a way and help take it to the next level. What do you like? What is one leadership principle basically that you feel like? you know, you particularly espouse or you feel like has led to your own success? Yeah. One thing I've always, and I, I think this is something I learned in college when I was, you know, when I was playing basketball is I want to lead by example. I'll never ask one of my guys to do something that I won't do myself or I haven't done. So if I'm in my office, if I'm in the office eight and hours a day grinding, those guys are going to be doing the same for me. You know, we're, we're a team. I, I want guys on my team that want to go to battle with me. So I think a lot of it is just letting them see how passionate I am about what I do and where I think the company is going. Um, and by, you know, I'll cover call, I'll cover calls for AEs or BDRs if they're busy. And I want them to know that just because, you know, I'm, I'm a VP, it doesn't make me any better than them. We're, we're a team and I will suffer them anytime they need me. And I hope they would be willing to do the same for me. So I think a lot of it is just leading by example, understanding we're all on the same team, you know, we're competitive, all the sales guys want to have, you know, be the number one sales guy. But at the end of the day, we all have the same goal in sight. So I think a lot of it is just, you know, leading by example, make sure your team knows where you stand and you're willing to do anything for them and help them be successful. And everything else just kind of falls in line. Yeah. Well, I think that makes a ton of sense. Well, like I said, Colton, uh, thank you for leading by example and uh, really appreciate getting to know you a little bit better and best of luck in all you guys are doing. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Uh, 
great talking to you and, you know, keep up the good work. Obviously we had a, an amazing time at the Accelerate Conference. Um, I think first ever we're doing that year over year now. We won't miss another one of those. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Um, you know, it's been good working with you guys and your team. So appreciate your time and have a great yeah. day. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in today. Hopefully you have some good takeaways as well. This is e-commerce innovators and we are thrilled that you were able to join us today as well. Feel free to like, and subscribe and do all that fun stuff and drop us a note. If there's anything we can do uh, to make this show better and, and more worth your time. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one. Take care, everyone.